Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Out of the Cave podcast. This podcast, you, you could say it's about a lot of things, but really the real purpose of this podcast is a way for me to have conversations with people I find interesting and want to speak with. I've always been interested in what it means to be a man, personality, relationships, morality, the existence of God, and a bunch of other topics in that same vein. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations and take something away like I will. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. Kendra, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, so you're an author, speaker, radio host, a mother, uh, wife, all the, all the above. So you have a pretty amazing conversion story and, and what you do with your, your speaking. So take me back. What was your life like before you decided that you wanted to be a Catholic speaker? Oh, wow. Well, it was a long part of my life. So let's say about, geez, it was only two and a half years ago that I decided to leave my executive career in corporate America. This career that I worked so hard for, that the world told me would make me happy, that I'm going to finally find success in power and prestige and money, materialism stuff, you know, and I sought after that for my whole career. So um, let me just share that the world raised me. I didn't need God in my life. I didn't, why do I need God? I'm according to what this world said. I'm, I'm living the life. I'm living the dream. I've made it. I'm on the boardroom, sitting at the boardroom table at these international companies. So life is good with the exception that I was constantly comparing myself to other people. My value and my worth were in what people thought of me. So for most of my life, all I did was try to diet and look like what the society said I should look, obviously, climb the corporate ladder and be successful and do the things that were making me happy. And when I say happy, I'm, I'm floating air quotes around the word because I thought I was happy, but yet I was so stressed out and so concerned and um, just worried about what people thought of me that I kept drinking and I was addicted to marijuana for 20 plus years and I was just seeking pleasure in everything. And if I'm so happy, why can't I sleep at night? Why am I totally uncomfortable in my skin and constantly doing that comparison game and wanting what other people have? And oh, when I lose this 10 pounds, I'll finally be happy. When I hit this job, I'll finally be happy. When I meet my husband and get married, I'll finally be happy. And yet none of that really gave me what only God could give me. And at that time, I had no clue who God was. So I guess I'll just share that I was a confirmed Catholic and another air quote around confirmed Catholic because I had zero clue what the Catholic faith was all about. I seriously do not know how I was confirmed. Um, let's just start by, I didn't even know who Jesus was. I didn't know Jesus was God. I thought Jesus was just God's son. And don't even get me started on the, on the Holy Trinity. The, the Holy Spirit escaped me. Had no idea that the dove was the symbol of the Holy Spirit. Clueless about the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus at Mass. And I just thought that Catholicism was a bunch of rules, and I didn't want to live my life that way. I'd rather be, you know, worshiping 
my holy trinity, which was me, myself, and I, and doing whatever I wanted whenever I wanted because, hey, isn't it all about me being happy? And if it feels good, do it. So that was my whole life, um, which I bought every lie that the world told me would make me happy. And I'm just screaming to the people out there who are feeling insecure and full of fear and worry and anxiety and have a stressed out life that it's not supposed to be that way. <laughs> life is not supposed to be where you have to have that drink or smoke that pot or do something to quote unquote, take the edge off because you deserve it. And you know, you need to release that stress in some way. It just is not the way it's supposed to be. So that's when God pulled me out of the pits of hell, and I'm so grateful. <laughs> a lot of people seem to struggle with that constant pursuit of happiness. What, what led you to believe or to understand that that was a fallacy, like it was never going to satisfy you? So it wasn't even as if I was looking for God. I didn't even know what different religions were. I had no clue that there were other denominations of Christianity. I had no clue the difference between Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, spiritual, the universe, chakra, like all this stuff I didn't care about at all because I was so connected to money. So money for me was my God. And you might be thinking along with everyone who's listening, like, well, then how did you find God? I wasn't looking for him. He found me when I opened up the door just a little bit. So my dad had a quadruple bypass surgery and we got a call one day out of the blue. I mean, there's no symptoms. He's not even two pounds overweight. And this was a complete shock to me. So from the moment that I received that call till the very next day, which was when he was going to have his chest broken open and go into surgery, I panicked and I just started praying. God, please don't take my dad, please, you know, and if you do keep him on this earth, please have him recover fast. And it was a lot of off and on crying and praying. And that was me just asking God into my life. Even though it wasn't directly for me, it was asking for his mercy and for his, you know, help with my father. But he didn't take that little crack in the door, I mean, lightly. He kicked it wide open. So I, um, amazingly, he answered my prayers. My dad came through the surgery with flying colors, and I was one of the nine lepers who never went back and thanked him. I didn't even think about God. As a matter of fact, I went right back into my navel gazing and started looking at myself. And I looked at my husband, and I said, all right, buddy. You know, we're, we've got probably 15, 20 pounds that we're packing on here. We should go on a diet and go on this cleanse that I saw on Dr. Oz, which by the way, my husband is not fond of Dr. Oz <laughs> because I bring home all of these things that he, you know, introduces all these supplements and stuff. So I said, look, we've got symptoms. We could be in that hospital. So let's go on this cleanse. And God spoke to me in the diet book. So I'm reading about all these supplements that we, have you ever been on a cleanse before by what, by the way? Not a uh, health one. My mom's a vegan and she has been for the last almost 15 years. So I grew up with a more healthy diet than most people, but I have a pretty mixed diet now and I'm pretty healthy weight wise. 
good for you. Cause the cleanse is not easy. And I can't even believe I got my husband who's a total meat and potato guy to go on this thing. But, um, I don't recommend it for people and <laughs> we didn't stay on it very long cause it was so hard, but, uh, I'm in, I'm reading the diet book and there's this pie chart of little segments of your life. And one of those pieces of the pie said spirituality. And that was a aha moment, a total God moment where I said, wow, I've got nothing going on in this piece of the pie. And I didn't even understand spirituality as people understand it today in the new age movement and all of that. I just interpreted it as religion and it was my religion. So it was Catholic. And so I said, okay, I'm cleansing my body. I might as well cleanse my soul. The spirit moved in me to go back to church. Now you got to understand when I say go back to church, when I was raised and my parents, you know, initiated me in the church through CCD. So it was like every weekend I would go and I could, I was counting down the minutes till I was out of there, obviously not learning a thing as you heard. And we weren't practicing. We were what I would call priesters. We were those Christmas Easter goers that would, you know, go to mass on Christmas and Easter, receive the Holy uh, Eucharist in communion, not knowing anything about being in a state of grace, and then we would leave. And so when I left my family and I moved out on my own, I wasn't going to any church, no mass of any kind, not even for Christmas or Easter. So this is how long it's been since I've stepped foot in a Catholic church. So at 42 years old, I decided I'm going to go back to church. And it was one of the scariest things I've ever done because I've never been A, to this church, and B, to mass by myself. Um, I don't know what to do, when to stand, when to sit, when to, you know, pray, what to say. I mean, it had been so long since I'd been to, to mass that when the priest said, peace be with you, I screamed, and also with you, instead of, and with your spirit. So by the way, if anyone's listening, that's what you say, it's no longer and also with you, it's and with your spirit, I'll try to save you that embarrassment because I just wanted to, like that Southwest commercial, just get away. <laughs> you know, I'm like, get me out of here. I just made a complete fool out of myself. But, um, and I received Holy Communion. I had not been to confession in 26 years. And I know I had mortal, many, many mortal sins on my soul. And actually, even more mortal sins that I didn't know were mortal sins at the time were on my soul. So I walked up, received the Lord, came back, and I left. And right before I'm walking out, there are going to be the announcements came. And they had mentioned Divine Mercy Sunday and that there would be confession held that day. I had no idea what Divine Mercy Sunday was. But at that moment when the, the priest said confession, I had this silent moment. It's like everything disappeared around me and I just sat in my pew and I thought, whoa, like if I believe a half of a half of a half of a mustard seed of this Catholic faith, I am so going to hell. I mean, if I die when I walk out of here, I'm going to hell. And so the following Sunday, I went to confession and it was a supernatural life-changing day and it was a pivotal moment that changed everything in my life it was so amazing so what was that that confession like for you i know a lot of people maybe uh, some protestants really aren't familiar what confession is 
Um, could you talk about a little bit about what confession is and then why that experience of confession helped you find your faith again? Oh, man, this is emotional. I, I, almost every time I speak about this, I, I get choked up because um, I had no idea what to expect. I was pretty scared. I had no clue about this examination of conscience that you should go through before you go to confession to see, you know, what you can, <laughs> what you should confess. I just grabbed an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and a pen, and I just started writing. And I filled up both sides, so do not be shocked if, and I'm sure I didn't capture everything. Um, And I just went in, I remember from the movies even what to say. I I hadn't been in 26 years and I'd only been once and it was for my confirmation. So I remember from the movies, bless me father for I have sinned. And then you tell them how long it's been, right? So I kneel down and I I was super nervous. I thought, I am, I'm going to get such a horrible penance because I have so many mortal sins on my soul. Like, this is not going to be pretty. I walk in, I kneel down and he, you know, it welcomes me and I say, okay. And I say it like this. It's hilarious, man. I go, bless me, father, for I have sinned. Uh, Get a load of this. It's been 26 years since my last confession. Like I'm saying it just like that in a comedic kind of tone to lighten the fact that, yeah, man, it's been a long time since I've been to confession. So be nice to me kind of thing. And he turns and he, you know, hears that and he says, welcome home and says it in the most beautiful voice. And I sat there and I just started bawling. I couldn't control my tears. The page that I had opened up in front of me. I could hear my tears just hitting the page. You know, I mean, I was out of control bawling. I had the lump in my throat like I do right now. Um, I could barely speak. Now I can't see because my eyes are filled with tears. All I could feel was the love of God. He wasn't angry at me. He didn't want to tell me and punish me and you know, make me regret coming here. He was so happy. Welcome home. I mean, oh my gosh, that priest was truly Jesus on the other side of that screen. And I pulled myself together and I finally went through everything. And as he was absolving me of my sins, and this is the difference between saying I'm sorry to God in your bedroom. I I never have felt this before. So he's absolving me of my sins through the priest, obviously, in persona Christi. For those who don't know, the priest acts as Jesus Christ. And so when I heard welcome home, it was as if Jesus was saying that to me himself. And then as the priest is absolving me, it's truly Jesus saying, I gave my life for you, my precious blood for the forgiveness of your sins. You're clean. You can go. You can start all over again. And as the words were coming out of his mouth. I started crying again, but there was this supernatural experience that had happened to me. Like I floated out of the back of my head and I could see the back of my, my head exactly like it's a picture right now in, in my mind. My shoulders were shrugging up and down, of course, because I was bawling again. And I could, I could picture the pink golf 
uh, shirt pullover thing that I had on and my hair was up in this clip and I could see everything as if it were just happening right now. It was only a few seconds and then I come back into my body and there is this warm waterfall of peace that I cannot explain. I, I, I mean, come on, I've taken a lot of drugs and I could have taken every single one at the same time, threw them all down with a shot of whiskey and every alcohol in the planet and never felt that peace and that love ever. I mean, it was supernatural. I, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced like that peace or that resting in the spirit, but I was kneeling. I could feel my body. I couldn't feel my body, but I knew I was there and I was just in such bliss. I mean, it, it, I, I wish I could explain it, but that was when I realized this is supernatural. This is what in the world is happening to me. So when I got out to my car, I sat down and I looked back at the church doors of that Catholic church that I've never been in before. And I started crying again. And I was like, what was that? Like, that was God. That was supernatural. That was not on this planet, right? This is something that I've never experienced before. And I was stone cold sober. And I said, that must be the sacrament of reconciliation. That is different. So the spirit within me lit me on fire. And I just became this complete addict trying to learn more about this Catholic faith. Like, what is this Catholic faith? So, you know, like in those cartoons, you could see the, the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder. And there's, you know, kind of telling you what to do. Like the devil's on one side saying, why are you wasting your time looking up this Catholic stuff? You don't want to change your life. You don't believe in any of the teachings. You're not living half of them anyway. You want to sleep in on Sunday. And then I have the other, you know, the angel on the other side of me saying, but that love and that peace and that joy that you felt in that confessional, what was that? Is that what life with God is all about? And what is this Catholic thing? Don't you want to be Catholic if this is how it's going to be? And so it was just this amazing um, journey because I kicked and screamed to the faith. I didn't want to believe in the teachings, that's for sure. After that, uh, I know for people who, after they've had a really big conversion experience, they start having doubts. They start losing the stamina that they had, you know, that, that vigor, that energy that they had right after that conversion. And the world comes back. How did you deal with that? Did you have any of those doubts or was it just, you've just been carried through? Well, I, when I, okay, so I came back that day and my husband, um, who is just the exact same confirmed Catholic as I was, as a matter of fact, he was an altar boy and went to Catholic school for a couple of years, was just as clueless of a Catholic as me. And I, and he came home from golf and he was looking at me and I said, dude, you have got to go to confession. And I went on this whole big, you know, song and dance about what happened. And he was like, oh my gosh, like, well, that's good, honey. And pretty much dismissed it. Right. And just spoiler alert, he's still not a practicing Catholic, but I definitely see God working in him. And I share all of my supernatural experiences, my spiritual moments. Um, you know, I've had like evil and good and long, long, a lot of supernatural stuff has happened on my journey. But to answer your question, what I wanted to do was 
uh, my first thing was to find out what people said after the priest said, peace be with you. Because I'm like, I'm not going back if I don't figure that one out. I didn't even know how to follow in the missile. I had no clue how to how to go about this whole mass thing, mass thing. So if anyone is out there freaking out because they don't know what to do when they go to mass, do not worry. Everyone is so into their own world, especially people who understand the purpose of the mass, and that is to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. That was the first thing as I was looking up, oh, it's the responses and with your spirit. And then I started going into the Eucharist and what the Eucharist was. And then I fell upon Eucharistic miracles, some links to those like the Buenos Aires one where, you know, the, where the actual communion host turns into flesh and bleeds and it's the DNA of Jesus. It's the inner heart muscle that pumps all the blood to all of them. Some of, some of the Eucharistic miracles are just sitting in water, good old fashioned H2O and haven't, haven't disintegrated for hundreds of years. And I just kept stumbling across things. And so the second week of, of my journey, I'm learning about the Eucharist and I'm realizing, oh my gosh, this is such an awesome thing. Like I can't wait to get to mass. And I actually scheduled a meeting with a priest. And then he told me that, oh, by the way, you can't receive the Lord because you're not married in the sacramental church right? Not married sacramentally in the church. And I was like, are you kidding me? I just found out that that's Jesus and I can't receive him now. Like, well, why am I even going to mass? And so for almost a year, and this is where for me, I was walking my journey all alone. So there were no people in my life. My husband's not on the journey, my stepchildren, my friends, nobody at, at my office or in my professional life. I'm doing this all on my own. I'm researching and I'm learning and I'm walking in faith. And so praise God, I didn't have that. Now, I didn't all of a sudden say, hey, I'm not going to sin either. I mean, I fell and I fell and I fell over and over again. And I kept going back to confession and thank God for the sacraments. And I kept going to mass. So Turns out I didn't even know not going to mass was a mortal sin until probably three years into my journey, but I was, I kept going and I just kept learning. It was this unquenchable thirst that kept me coming back. And then I didn't have a prayer life. So my, my faith was going to mass and I didn't, I wasn't reading the Bible. I didn't understand scripture. I hadn't really learned how to pray or to build this relationship with him, but I have had these supernatural experiences. So I know God. Um, and that's when I started digging into my inner life and my spiritual life and how to pray and everything just kept snowballing. So the Holy spirit gifts were coming. My husband was seeing a change in me. My truck, driving potty mouth self was no longer that, right? Slowly but surely, I wasn't swearing anymore, and I was a bad swearer. Um, you know, I had this patience, I had this kindness and this generosity, and I started looking at people differently, like, you're a child of God too, like, why should I judge you? It was so amazing. And I just have to say that God was changing me and I was noticing and people around me were noticing. My family started looking at me and they're like, what's up with you? And I'm like, it's God. I know. Isn't this crazy? And so I was, um, again, 
just blessed with the fact that I didn't, I didn't have these moments of desolation. I just did continue to sin though. I kept falling and it was hard for me to leave what I knew, which was a partying selfish lifestyle after 42 years to, you know, cut out the vices and, and focus on virtuous living and all of that. So plus with having no one really walking with me around me was why I ended up leaving my executive career to get out there and walk with people and be honest about all that he's done in my life from my drug addiction to my over drinking to my promiscuity to my porn watching to self gratification to, I mean just everything that I thought was okay in the world is not <laughs> so that's kind of the journey that I was on a little bit there for a while yes yeah, so a lot of people I think definitely struggle with the the feeling of going back and forth to confession and like what you're just talking about that that constant uh, like it's like a cyclical experience of like I don't feel like I'm getting better I, I know that God exists and I want to you know live in the light so to speak but I just struggle to get there um, so you talk a lot about prayer and that was something I really wanted to talk to you about so what role did prayer start to play? Uh, personal prayer in your life and how did it transform you? Yeah. So my prayer life was a one way asking train to God. That's all I thought God was, you know, Hey God, help me lose weight, help this boy like me, help me pass this test in college, you know, help me get this job, help me keep this job. These were, these were what I thought prayer were, right. Help my dad, um, which was probably one of the first non self-focused prayer, right? It was definitely for someone else out of love in desperation. Um, so when I, I started listening to Catholic radio and listening to podcasts and, and hearing people, you know, say that they could hear the voice of God and, and their prayer life was getting into mental meditation. And I, I wasn't into silence. Um, I hated silence my whole life. I've always filled my head and my ears with things on TV, or I barely was even a reader because there's some silence there. I always had the radio on or music on, and silence was really hard for me. And learning how to pray was something that you just have to take your spiritual life into your own hands. And I was, like I said, that unquenchable thirst that the Spirit put in me never left. And I continue on this journey of learning. I learn every day. I go deeper with God every day. I, right now I'm in this phase of bodily mortification, right? I mean, I, I want to master my body. I don't want to overeat or have that extra glass of wine. And I don't want to be lazy. I want to work out. I want to make this body the the best temple that it can be for the Holy Spirit. And if you look at me, you know, five years ago, oh my gosh, what, what sins I was committing back then were way worse than just, you know, the things that I'm trying to work on now. So I would just want to say to everyone that it was the moment of clarity for me, including forgiveness of other people, was I had to be humble enough to ask God for help. So when I came to the, when God led me to the truth of the church and every single teaching, because I struggled with a lot of them, and I finally realized, oh my gosh, this is the truth. This is the way, the truth, the life. It's a person, it's Jesus, and it's the faith that he gave us and all of these beautiful 
ways that we could pick ourselves back up because he knows we're going to fall through confession, through sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm sorry, through sanctification of the Eucharist of Jesus at mass. And so bottom line, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, oh my gosh, how in the world are you going to change everything? It wasn't just what I was doing. It was what I was thinking and what I was saying. So I took it all upon me to change. And it wasn't until I finally asked God through the numerous confessions. And I'm just thinking years, this was years. So people don't be frustrated. Just give it to God and say, God, I cannot do this myself. I need your help because clearly I keep falling. And it's that humility that is something that we have to practice every day. And the minute I started giving my inability to him and realizing that everything that was happening in my life, all these beautiful graces and these um, fruits of, of the spirit were not me. It was just me being open and it was God. So by the grace of God only can you truly transform and truly change. And that was uh, that was another aha moment of mine. And that's when I started reading about prayer and quieting your mind. And I just want to say, St. Augustine says, you will not be saved if you do not pray. And so in the beginning, as we all do, it's reciting prayers, right? It's the vocal prayer. And there's nine levels of prayer up to this perfect, beautiful union with God. And vocal prayer is one. The second one is mental prayer. And that's where I'm diving into now, and I'm loving it. But it wasn't easy in the beginning because it's quieting your mind. It's meditating either on, the, on scripture, on a reading in a saint's book. Maybe it's an object. Maybe it's true meditation of the rosary and all of the mysteries because a lot of the time we just recite the rosary and we're back falling into level one, which is just vocal prayer. And yet this second level is so important St. Alphonsus Liguori says, if you do not incorporate mental prayer, and that's 15 minutes at a minimum of meditation every day, you will be unable to stop sinning. And St. Um, Teresa of Avila says, if you master the level two meditative prayer, it is the gateway to all of the other seven levels. So it's, it's not negotiable. We have to pray. And then another bonus that she says is if you incorporate mental prayer every day, Satan knows that he has lost your soul. And so for me, and again, this is just reading. There's three basic elements of a spiritual life, and it's prayer. It is spiritual reading. And then it's rooting out the vices and building up virtue. And we work on these three for our entire life until we are hopefully taken, you know, into purgatory or up into heaven. It's, it's, gonna, it's a daily, daily battle. And I just encourage people to research how to pray. There's tons of stuff out there that can help you on your journey. I actually have a prayer program um, I, I, don't even, I don't mean to self-promote here, but I'm, I'm going to throw it out there because when I would be out speaking, people would ask afterwards, you know, I'm signing books and, and they would say, you know what, I don't even know how to pray or I struggle with prayer. I can't find the time. I can't quiet my mind. I don't know what to say or how to say it. I can't hear God's voice. So I took it to prayer with God. I said, what do you want me to do here? Because I can't 
tell someone, you know, in five minutes while I'm signing their book, <laughs> you know, how to pray. So I put together a 40-day video prayer program, which it's me coming in an email every single day. It's a three-minute video, and every day has a focus, and we walk together. That's what I really feel is my calling is to walk with people on the journey because I felt so alone. I was all by myself and no one out there really, they were all so holy. I thought, right. They all are, they're so much farther on the spiritual journey than me. And I, that's why I'm out there sharing all my horrific past so that people know that it doesn't matter where you've been and everybody's journey is unique and you can you know, change with God's grace. It's a, it's a beautiful epiphany when you realize that. Yeah. It's definitely a realization. We all uh, realize that we're sinners, even, you know, if you, my listeners go back to my first episode where I had a uh, father Thomas Esposito on, you know, he was talking a little bit about that, you know, the struggles doesn't end, you know, even when you become a priest, it's, it's still uh, a constant struggle for, for sanctity and for, for holiness. Yeah, it's probably worse, right? The more you get into working in the vineyard and trying to help bring souls to Jesus, you know, your Satan is not happy. <laughs> you know, I mean, you you continue to be tempted. It's it's not like these things don't continue to flare up between the world, the flesh, and Satan. It, that's why it's that daily battle and why prayer has been so critical in my life and the way that I start my day. And I just wrap myself in God every morning. And the, the mornings when I don't pray, and I don't think I even have those anymore, but when it's not the best prayer morning, you know, sometimes you're just distracted or you're, you're not feeling that consolation of the Lord. You really don't feel his presence. I still press through because that's my commitment to God is, is to try and love him and to hear his voice every day. And there have been days where I've just, you know, I get up and I go. And those days are not peaceful and joy-filled. They're just a little bit more filled with anxiousness and a little bit of fear and a little bit of worry. They're, they're certainly not the same days. So it is very important to advance in the spiritual life and advance in, in, virtue, in virtuous living and start killing some of those sins, killing your former self. Yeah, definitely. What role do you think silence has in kind of pushing off one just bad habits these these sins that we're trying to get away from these bad habits that we're trying to break and how does silence work in prayer i mean some people may not even know how silence could affect their prayer or hearing god like what is that like so i remember hearing about adoration had no clue what adoration is and for those who don't know who aren't catholic it's basically jesus in this monstrance it's this beautiful typically like gold flaring sun and the the host the consecrated host which means that's the body blood soul and divinity of jesus monstrance means to show and he's being displayed uh to either a small chapel or sometimes it's in it's in the church and you basically are sitting in front of jesus you can also sit in front of jesus in a catholic church usually behind the altar he is in the tabernacle it's this area um, either to behind the altar or hopefully to the left or the side. But you can sit with Jesus. And I remember the first time going into an adoration chapel, which it was a separate area, a separate room in this church. And I walked in and it was deafening. 
<laughs> the silence was so crazy. I mean, there wasn't a peep. Everyone, you know, was sitting there either gazing at him, others were reading, others had their rosary in their hands. And I just wanted to kind of check it out. And I, I knelt down. I was so uncomfortable, because, but I knew that Jesus is here. I mean, I could feel the holiness in the room, but I wasn't used to the silence. And so I think I might have made it seven minutes, maybe, <laughs> until I had to say, I got to get out of here. This is like, this is crazy. And that was my first exposure to silence, but I could feel the holiness in that room. So that was when I started looking into, you know, prayer is not just constantly, prayer is a discussion with God. Prayer means lifting your mind and heart up to the Lord and loving him. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila says prayer is not as much thinking, but in much loving. So I think a lot of times we, we get into that prayer and we start our petitioning. Oh, Lord, can you help me with this? I can't stop that. Can you bring my kids back to the church? Can you, can you, can you, can you, can you, can you? And we just, that's not a loving relationship. If you were dating your girlfriend and that's all you did was all the talking and you never let her speak back and you never listened, that's not a relationship. And so that's where I try to help people understand that Prayer isn't reciting the Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Rosary, the Chaplet, although it can be, and those things are good, but prayer is really building that loving relationship with God and allowing for that silence so that you can hear, feel, and maybe even see God in your life differently. Because God speaks to you through people, through experiences, through books, through videos, um, you know, God is all over talking to you in some way. But when you're actually in prayer, usually it's a sense of specifically how he communicates with you. And you, and you have to listen and you have to feel, especially if like you're trying to decipher or discern a big decision in your life. Like, should I take this job or should I take this job? Or should I get married or should I not? And, that, you know, major decisions in your life really need to be, I guess, given to God so that he can give you the answer and he can lead you. And in the beginning, you're going to struggle. There's no question. You're not going to know what God's voice is. You're going to feel like you're not hearing him. That's because you haven't truly calmed your mind. You're thinking about your grocery list. You're thinking about the things that you have to do. You're, you're not yet there in that moment of, okay, Lord, you're not loving God. You're trying to get through the prayer. And that's okay. All of us, you know, you're going to have a con continuous struggle with that. But I think that's where people truly understand, ah, that's how you're speaking to me. And some people hear a voice. I've never heard a voice. I've just had something be put on my heart, right? Like I feel what he's telling me. Thoughts come into your mind. You need to discern, are those my thoughts? Are those God, God's thoughts? Are those, you know, the devil's thoughts? There are, you know, Ignatius spiritual discernment of the spirits that I've studied as well. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a process for sure, but it really is about loving God and giving him that time and making that decision to pray because lukewarmness is not praying and he's going to spit you out of his mouth because you haven't decided 
to love him and to give him some time. And it doesn't even need to be that much. 15 minutes a day is all he's asking. And sometimes you gotta, <laughs> you gotta struggle through that and, and push yourself through, but it gets easier and better. And then the more you learn um, how, and the more you hear him and he gives you consolations. I mean, he gives you, we, we call these little pieces of candy. All of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, that was the best prayer ever because you're so filled with peace and your day is just going to be awesome. You just know it um, because he wants you to know I'm here, you know, and it's, it's so beautiful. Yeah. I, I wish I could explain it. <laughs> sure. Sure. I definitely struggle with that stillness of mind. That's something that is really hard to overcome. Just, quieting those voices in your head and and trying to be really silent some people i mean call it just meditation um but that's what we're talking about here with prayers just a stillness of mind trying to just be silent so you can hear god and i want to say it's different than what the world says meditation so there's other meditation such as you know you're calling out to the universe and you know in in like the buddhist spiritual exercises, there's methods of quieting your mind and emptying it. But in Christian meditation, we are looking, we're quieting the distractions around us, but we're looking into our hearts where God is. And we are engaging in a conversation. We're present. We have to be there. It's just a matter of trying to silence the outside world. So there is a huge difference between the two meditations. And that's why I feel so sad for people who go through this meditation method of all this new age stuff. And I'm just calling it out, everyone. That is, that is a false God. That is the first commandment. You've just broken it. You love your God, the one and only with all your mind, body, soul, and strength. And when you look at crystals and the universe and yoga and all these things that are Satan taking you away from the one God, you may find some peace. There's medical proof that prayer, regardless of who or what you're praying to, calms your mind. There's, there's some serotonin that, that is generated through prayer and meditation. So it's a false truth, though. It's really not God in you. And it's not the spirit moving in you if you're, if you're heading down those other paths. So I you know, I caution everybody, if they're getting into that stuff, stop it, stop it and get back to prayer with, with God and Jesus Christ. And, you know, do, do your research to make sure that you're not heading down that occult because that's the wrong, the wrong path. And that's where Satan has lied and misdirected a whole bunch of people. So I just wanted to clarify that because I know a lot of people don't even know that. They don't think that they're getting into any kind of trouble by going to yoga and, and doing these other things that even some Catholic churches um, have offered. It's, it's kind of scary. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it seems the same, but it's very contrary to what, what Catholic or Christian prayer really is. And it's so easy to say, Oh, these are pretty much the same. They seem the same on the surface, but they, they definitely, when you look into it, they're not, they're not at all. Exactly. Let's change gears here a little bit. I wanted to ask you, uh, what role do you think that being this, uh, this podcast is oriented towards men? What role then does it have for men to try and improve themselves in their character and 
through having a really good prayer life, what role does that have in, in the women in their lives? If you're a guy in a relationship or you're married, what role does uh, a man play in a woman's life who, who is trying to have good character? Yeah, I could go on and on. Maybe we have another podcast just about male spirituality since we sort of covered a bunch of stuff on this with my journey. But I want to say this. I did not have, and I love my father. I love my brothers. I love all the people that I've known in my life, but my uncles and grandparents. And I did not have any male role models who were faith-based, prayerful, or spiritual in any way, shape, or form in my life. So again, the world raised me, and I looked to my father to help me with, you know, career moves and soccer and things like that, like a dad would do, but never did we talk about Jesus, religion, faith, God ever in the house. And so for me, that was absent. And when I ended up, uh, getting into kind of my, my executive career, I had a couple of people in my professional life who were Christian, but not Catholic, that impacted me. So there were three men, um, one who opened my eyes one day, his wife um, cheated on him with their pastor. And I remember he was sharing that with me and I'm not on the faith journey yet. And I'm looking at him saying, leave her, kick her to the curb, dude. It was your, it was your pastor. And by the way, I didn't know the difference between a pastor and a priest, um, non-denominational Christians versus Catholics at this time. I just looked at him and said, how can you forgive her? How could you even think about staying in this relationship with her? And I immediately judged her and I looked at him and he did not throw her under the bus. He did not call her names. He said he had to pray on it. And of course, that was foreign to me. I'm like, pray on it? What? And it was different because I've never experienced a man that was prayerful or even this kind. I mean, why don't you just divorce her? Move on. And sure enough, a couple weeks later, he's now going to leave his, his career and he's going to become a pastor himself and he's going to save his marriage and they're going to move and they're going to, you know, start their own church. And <laughs> I mean, I was looking at him like, are you kidding me? Like, who are you? And what is this all about? Like, how did you forgive her? And so it, it mattered. It, it put a, like an imprint in my heart and a couple of other men again, were the exact same way. They were just, you know, very loving, very kind, always talked about their wife and their children one them never swore and I was like I told you the truck drive and swearing chick and I I asked him one day like why don't you swear and he says because it, it goes against my faith and I choose not to and at that moment I was like wow like you choose not to I don't think I could stop even if I did try you know <laughs> and sure enough you could do anything when you ask God to help you but I have to say then as I went stepped down the faith path, I was so impressed. And men that would be bringing their kids into churches and masses, big families, I was, I was looking at men as spiritual leaders and true, you know, like men of faith have this kindness and gentleness to them. But you also know that if they're men of faith, they have this power and this strength 
of around them as well. And they're taking care of their family, not just perhaps in a financial way, but also in a spiritual way. And it's powerful. I remember seeing a man in adoration on his knees who had just come back to the church about a year earlier. And I know this man. And the way that he looked at Jesus in such love with his rosary in his hand was heart melting. And there's such power. It's not, you know, and when you pray, I think a lot of men think that it's a you know, effeminate, right? It's, it's for women and it's for grandmas and all that kind of stuff. And I just look and I say, oh my gosh, no, think about St. Joseph. And I just consecrated myself to him. And there is such power. That man raised, protected Jesus Christ and the Blessed Mother. I mean, he was also very pure and very prayerful. And I think how cool is that to have, um, you know, someone in the family saying grace and getting on his knees as a child of God, knowing that God is what he needs to keep his faith on and that he doesn't have this pride. It's, I don't know, it's so powerful. I wish um, we had a lot more time to get into that, but it is something that I think men don't realize the power that they have over people, especially women, If you're out there and you're living your faith and you're prayerful and you're kind, but yet you're firm in your beliefs and you're strong as a leader, it's, it, it makes women take notice because all too often we, I came across a lot of men who were filled with pride, who were throwing people under the bus at the office, who were talking behind people's backs, who were swearing like you know, me. <laughs> and, and I just sit there and I think, wow, the men that were living their Christianity out in the world made a difference in my life. I looked at them differently and I had a different respect for them. And I think there are so many women out there who, like me, if they were raised by the world, could be so impacted by men who care and respect for them right? Um, I was drunk one night with a guy that was a Christian. A whole bunch of us were out. He didn't drink. The next day, he asked me, and I'm all hungover and stuff, and this is in my early journey. Like I said, it took me a while to get out of my sinful ways, but he had said, do you remember what you said last night? (laughs) I was like, "Uh, no, you know, like I probably said a lot of things last night, and he didn't judge me, He just said, okay. And, you know, it just was like, all right, it's all good. But he made me think I had to pause and I was embarrassed. And I said, why am I drinking like this? And so it caused me to reflect. And then I didn't, I didn't want to like disappoint him. Right. He's, I respect this guy very much. And he is a Christian. He doesn't drink. And he basically just said it in a loving way, but it changed me. And that's, that's all I have to say is, is prayer and men living their faith is something that women need so much. And men, (laughs) men need male role models that, that take faith seriously because you can do anything with God. And there's a difference. People are attracted to men and women who live their faith because there's this joy and there's this 
humbleness about them, but then there's this family love and it's just, it's different. And that's what we're all called to be. We're all called to be little Jesuses, shining the light and bringing people out of the darkness. And there's something attractive, like a moth to a light to someone who has that joy, especially in the trials and the tribulations. You have to look at someone different and say, how come you're always so happy? They don't even know that it's God-given joy. It's, it's incredible. And we're all called to be disciples and to make disciples. So I just encourage every man not to be afraid to pray and to be that leader to this world that doesn't even know what a man is anymore. It's crazy. Thank you so much, Kendra. Uh, so where can people go if they want to do uh, a little bit more diving into the material that you have out there? Where can they go to uh, learn a little bit more? So everything is on my website. It's, it's a real creative name. It's KendraVonAsh.com. <laughs> Uh, you can check out my prayer. My video prayer course is there. Um, I also provide some faith coaching. While I'm not a spiritual director, I do help people uh, on the journey. You can subscribe to my free 10-minute podcast. If you're feeling alone out there and you just want someone to walk with every day, maybe to put Jesus on every morning, I record those live and I'm raw. I'm real about what's going on in my life. Um, you could listen to my radio show. Those podcasts are out on YouTube. You can just do a search or go up to my uh, website and follow me on social. But YouTube, I'm really focusing on that so that I can come in a video to people um, and also go live. I mean, I want to engage with people and have them ask me questions as I'm standing there, you know, sharing my shameful past or sharing my experience with evil in my life and my discernment of spirits and my prayer life so that it can be more of an engaging two-way street rather than just me talking to my phone <laughs> and then putting it up on YouTube. So make sure you subscribe and then click the bell and you'll be notified when I go live and we can, we can walk the walk together. That's really what I'm all about. So it's all on the website, KendraVonAsh.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Kendra. Uh, I appreciate your time and hopefully we can uh, have another podcast uh, one of these days soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. And keep, keep the walk, keep the faith. And I really appreciate what you're doing for men because I think they need this. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I hope so. Well, that was my guest, Kendra Von Esch, who is a Catholic speaker and writer. We covered a lot in this episode from prayer and conversion to the role of men as spiritual leaders. I got a lot out of this episode and I hope you did too. Thanks for stopping by and I hope you come back for the next one.